Well, I just want to say to the Newells, it's good that we're not... Last Christmas, we were in um, intensive care with you, weren't we? I think that's where we spent last Christmas. Uh, but that was lovely this morning to, uh, to be here with them. We're going to talk to Father, we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at God's Word this morning together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is a beautiful day. And we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for family and friends who have come to join the Newells in this special celebration. And presentation of Cooper to you and dedication of their life to bring him up in a way that will honor you. And help to bring him into relationship with you. But right now, Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit and through your word that you would speak to us. Whether we're keen for you or whether we're slightly interested or whether we have no interest at all, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak and we would hear his still small voice. And we ask this in the name of the one who died and rose again, in Jesus' name. Amen. As was mentioned before, on behalf of the Corelsas and the Merriweathers, thank you very much to the church. And uh, yes, it's been a full-on week with two funerals. It's been sad, but as Paul says, we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. Because we believe that God will bring him those who have fallen asleep or died in him. Because we are an Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. And uh, so, yes, it's sad, and we grieve, but we grieve with great hope. Today, we want to pick up as we start the new year. We're continuing our series in Through the Bible Through the Year, and you can grab a copy online, or you can buy a hard copy from Kurong, and uh, you don't have to start at the beginning of this. Uh, you can pick up wherever we are at, and we're up to uh, week 19, and uh, you can read a page a day. And as you read through it, it'll give you a good overview of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation following the Christian calendar, and uh, that's what we've been doing. So we start now, and we're going from Christmas to the day of Pentecost, when the gift of the Holy Spirit came to indwell us. Not that He wasn't here already, because God is present everywhere, uh, but after the cross and the resurrection, what God had done made possible that the Holy Spirit could now come to indwell us. Because in the Old Testament, he didn't indwell anybody. He came upon people, clothed himself with them, empowered them. But after the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus promised that he would come to make his home in us. As we talked about a few weeks ago, we are his sacred place if we allow him to indwell us. And so we're looking today, the uh, topic is the fourfold gospel of Christ. And uh, it's week 19 in our series just to go back and uh, see where these four Gospels fit in to the big picture of the New Testament. Uh, if you have a look like that, these are 27 books in the New Testament. There's 39 in the Old Testament. And the whole Bible, there are 66 books. So the Bible is not just one book. It's actually 66 books put together, but with one theme throughout, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And um, uh, sorry, that's right. I forgot that the, uh, the other little things don't come up on this uh, presentation. So at the top we have Pauline epistles to pastors or Paul's letters writing to pastors, Timothy, Titus and Philemon. Then down the right we have um, 
or your, yes, you're right, we have the general epistles that is written to Christians in general by John and Peter and James and others. And then on the other side, we have Pauline epistles or Paul's letters uh, to churches, uh, actual historical churches, whether in a place called Thessalonica or Colossae or Philippi or Ephesus. And uh, there's nine of those, so nine on both sides and uh, the four on the top. And then at the base of that, uh, we have the books of history and the foundation of the Christian faith. So we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and of course, the book of Acts, the starting of the church. And so we just want to look for a while this morning at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the four Gospels, and people can ask, why four? Why not only one? Well, these are all eyewitness events. And uh, in any event, it's good to have different eyewitnesses because people see different things. Have you ever noticed that? People see that. So if you talk to people who knew me in Queensland they would probably know me this way. Oh, he went to uh, Malian Theological College. Well, that was the Baptist Theological College of Queensland before it's now Malian. And uh, he was a pastor of a church in Blackwater and then he moved to Melbourne, then he came back to Queensland and then he's been a pastor of a church up here. But if you talk to people in Melbourne, ah, oh, John, yes, I know him. He went to Ag College and he studied at Agricultural College at uh, Horsham and he was involved in the Church of Christ there in the youth group and... Uh, uh, and then he worked for a stock feed company selling stock feed at Corowa in southern New South Wales. And, and you can say, well, who's right? Well, don't they contradict each other? One says he's a theological student. One says he's an agriculture student. One says he's working for a stock feed company. One says he's a pastor of a church. Who's right? Oh, they're contradicting each other. And very often when we read the Gospels, people come up with those sort of arguments. But they're both right. Because when you come to eyewitness events, not everybody picks up everything. Just have an accident and ask people, eyewitnesses, what did they see? One person saw a dog running across the road. Another person didn't see that dog. They were focused on something else. And so when we come to the four Gospels, they pick up, depending on who they're writing to and who they're speaking to, pick up different things about Jesus. And so we get a, a bigger picture of Jesus because there are four presentations of him in the four Gospels. You see, if you read Matthew, he has a Hebrew background, and uh, they're very focused on the past and genealogies and who you're descended from and can you trace your ancestry back. And uh, they were looking forward to a king who would get rid of the Roman rule uh, that was over them at the time. And so when you come to the Matthew, you'll notice he starts his Gospel going back this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so he wants them to see that this Jesus actually can trace his descendancy back to King David. So he's in the royal line. And so he's the rightful king of Israel. And he's a Jew because he can trace his ancestry all the way back to Abraham. And so that's very important to Matthew because of who he's talking to. And if you wanted to sort of sum up the book of Matthew... All right, it's a sick one. Look carefully. You can see a mat with a U on it. All right, that reminds you of the book of Matthew. Matthew, all right. And uh, the key word for Matthew is king. There's a king sitting on the throne uh, because Matthew shows that Jesus Christ is the rightful king of Israel. And not only that, he is the king of the universe and he's your rightful king. And really, to become a follower of Jesus, you must come into the kingdom or place yourself under his rulership, his leadership in your life. 
Are you a follower of Jesus? The question is, have you placed yourself under the rulership of King Jesus? So Matthew comes from that aspect of Jesus. Then Mark, of course, is uh, he's trying to talk to Romans and they're action people. They want things done immediately. Now they're interested in the present. And uh, so if you read the book of Mark, he starts with the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and he jumps straight into it. He doesn't go to the birth. He doesn't go to the genealogy. He starts right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist is there pronouncing his coming. Jesus is baptized, and boom, and the words come up over and over again, immediately, 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 all through that. It's an action thing because Romans had servants, and servants just did what the master said. And uh, so uh, Mark sees Jesus as the suffering servant of the Old Testament and puts in a form, and Jesus is doing everything that the Father says. He's obedient to the Father, and his focus is he's obedient to the Father, and he's coming to serve him and to serve us, and he's going to a cross. And that's what he's here to do, and about 60% of Mark is about Jesus' crucifixion and death and resurrection, because that's how he's, he's come to save those who are lost, fulfilling the Father's purpose. He's God's servant doing God's work, and that's what he came to do, to seek and to save the lost. And that's the book of Mark. M. Ark. M on the Ark. Mark. M. Ark. No, all right, okay. And uh, the key word for Mark is serve ant. Serving an ant. Okay, serve ant. So you can remember Mark's servant. Uh, Jesus is the suffering servant of the Old Testament, and he's come to die on the cross. Mark, key word, servant. And uh, right through, as I said, the focus is on how he was going to serve us by dying in our place on the cross, and we're going to remember that around the Lord's table in just a moment. But not only to die, but to rise again from the dead to make it possible for the just forgiveness of our sins and the receiving of the gift of eternal life, the gift of his Holy Spirit made possible through his servanthood through the death and resurrection. Then there's the book of Luke. And uh, Luke's uh, quite a brilliant man. He's a, he's a doctor, and uh, he's into research, and he's uh, writing to a more of a Greek mindset. And, um, and he starts off saying this at the beginning of his gospel, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And if you would like a copy of what Ruth, uh, Luke investigated and researched carefully to just check out what the eyewitnesses said about Jesus, then I'm happy to give you a copy afterwards before you leave if you've never read it called The Essential Jesus. And uh, the focus of Luke is uh, when you look at Jesus, he's the perfect man. He's 10 out of 10. You see the Dr. Luking? So it's the book of Luke because it's the Dr. Luking. And uh, he sees 10 out of 10 when he looks at the person of Jesus. So much so that Pilate, before he crucifies him, washes his hands and says, I find no fault in him. And Jesus even asked his accusers, can you accuse me of any sin? And they can't. They have to make up stories. And so the one who dies on the cross is the perfect man. So he's not dying for his own sin. He's actually dying for your sin and your rebellion and your guilt and your shame and your sin, not his own. 
for he was perfect. And that's what Luke discovered as he investigated. But the gospel I want us to just spend a little bit of time in is the gospel of John. You can see the J is on, J on, the book of John. Yeah, yeah, get sick. Okay, and his focus is on who Jesus is, not in his ancestry, not in his activity and what he did, not even in his person. He goes back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. He talks about Jesus as the Word of God, God's very communication of himself. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're going to look at that now. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the second half of the Bible in the New Testament. We're going to ask Warwick to come and read it to us, uh, either in a hard copy or online. And uh, John chapter 1, 1 to 18, this is the Word of the Living God. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testifying concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. back on ah there we go fantastic i didn't do something before just so you know next sunday i'm going to go on some holidays and uh over here is your new pastor give him a hand please stand it's going to be embarrassing this is brent and he's moved into the uh 69 harry street well that's the office i think he's dumped all his furniture in there we'll start to sort it out and uh so uh, he'll be looking after things so uh that's Brent, and his official induction will be after our holidays uh, in the beginning of February. We thought we'd leave it to them when everybody gets back from school holidays and uh, the new year is started, but he'll be 
on the ground as from today, which is fantastic. Let's come to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. What does John tell us about Jesus? Because, friends, we're followers of Jesus. We're committed to Jesus. We want to love him. We want to serve him. We want to know him. We want to obey him. We want to fulfill his purposes in this world. But who is this Jesus? Don't blindly follow somebody. You need to know who you're following, who you're committed to, and who you've opened up your life to. Well, John says Jesus is God. He is not a created being. He's not less than God. He's not Michael, the archangel. Whatever anybody else tells you, John, the eyewitness who was there at the time, said this about the one who he ate with and walked with and talked with. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in close relationship with him, and it says prototheon, he was actually face-to-face with God. He was in closest relationship with God. This Word, this very communication of God is God. And that's why Christians talk about the Trinity, the triunity of the Godhead. There is one God. But this one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And some people say, well, how can that be? That's beyond reason. Well, God's a little bit bigger than you and me. And uh, the word Trinity, no, is not in the Bible. It's a word we use to explain what the Bible teaches because it talks about God the Father and divine attributes. Then it talks about God the Son, and he has divine attributes. And then it talks about God the Holy Spirit. He has divine attributes, but the Bible clearly teaches that there is only one God. And so the word we use to understand that is a trinity, that there is one God, but this one God is three persons. Let me give you an illustration to help. Do you think that's impossible? Well, when Cooper was conceived, there was three in one at the conception. There was the DNA of Paul, DNA of Rachel, and then there was Cooper coming into being. And he now has a distinct identity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there are many other examples in creation. Jesus is God. Not less than God, not created by God. Jesus is God, the Apostle John tells us. Jesus is eternal. He was with God in the beginning. The word beginning, if you look back to the Old Testament, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It uses that in that context. The beginning of creation. When creation happened, Jesus already was. He was with God in the beginning. At the time of the beginning of what we know as the creation and of the world, Jesus already was. He was not only God, but he is eternally with God. He has always been in that eternal relationship. The Trinity, the community of the Trinity from all eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. Then... John goes on to say, Jesus is creator. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That is, everything came into being through his word. If you look at the first book of Genesis and look at the first chapter, you'll read these words. And God said, and God said, and every time God spoke, things came in. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be, and there was Notice every time God spoke, things came into being. Then the Apostle John talks about Jesus as the Word of God. God spoke. 
And he says, through Jesus, everything is coming to being. And he says, Jesus is the Word of God. And that's another understanding of the term sonship in the Bible. Jesus is the Son of God. Not that he was created by God or biologically his son, but he is the one through whom the Father fulfills his purposes. And so the Bible tries to use human language to help us to understand a little bit about him. And so John uses the word word for Jesus. He is the very communication of God. If you want to know God, what God is like, look at Jesus because he brings God into focus. And he is the creator. He is God. He is eternal. He is creator. Everything came into being through him. He is the source of life and the meaning and purpose to life. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And that's why someone says we have a God-shaped vacuum and only God can fill it because we were created in love to be the dwelling place of God, to be God's temple, to be God's holy people. And life and meaning and purpose, things only make sense when I come into relationship with the one who created me. He is the source of life, and he gives it light, meaning, and purpose. And Jesus is God in human flesh. He goes on to say the Word, who was there at the beginning, who was eternal, who always was, through whom everything came into being, he's the creator, became flesh, took on human flesh and made his dwelling, or pitched his tent, literally, among us. And we have seen his glory, the outward expression of the inward reality of God, the glory of the one and only Son, the one through whom the Father fulfills his purposes, who came from the Father, full of God's grace, his kesed, his commitment, covenant, love to us, and full of reality. He is God, really, in truth. Jesus is God in human flesh, if you want to know what God is like. And some people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is different. That's not true. There is only one creator God of the universe. And this one God has come into focus in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God incarnate, as we remember at Christmas. And he reveals God to us. No one has ever seen God, John says, but the one and only son who is himself God just in case you hadn't got it, is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. So God the Son, the Word of God, different terms for the one reality, has come into focus and took on human flesh, born as a baby, which we remembered at Christmas time. Born as a baby in Bethlehem, was given the name Jesus which means saviour, because his purpose in coming, as Mark has told us, was to suffer and die on a cross to take the judgment for our sin. But he is life, and God raised him from the dead, conquering sin and death. And he, through all he is doing, is revealing what God is and who God is. How do you see God? Look at Jesus. How do you understand God? Look at Jesus. What's God like? Look at Jesus. What does God think about you? Look at Jesus. Who loved you enough even while you were his enemy. Who cared for you enough that he wanted to do something about what keeps you from him, your sin and your rebellion, your guilt and your shame. And who came himself and even while we spat on him and even while we crucified him, he said, Father, forgive them. 
And he offered his life in our place to take the judgment we deserve so he could justly forgive us. And then he offers through the gift of his Holy Spirit to come and make his home in you. My question is, is he at home in your life? For it is God's offer and God's desire, as incredible as that might be, to take up residence and live his life in and through you. Jesus reveals God to us. And Jesus invites us into the fellowship of the Trinity. The love relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity past. That incredible oneness. Jesus prayed that we would experience that oneness in him and with one another. He came to that which was his own, his own people, as Matthew had recorded. He was legitimately a Jew, descended from David and then Abraham. He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. They rejected him and crucified him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, creator, God of the universe, Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Jehovah. His name is Jesus because he will save us from our sin. He is the suffering servant of the gospel of Mark. Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah who gives hope and new life and a new world and a new kingdom. He is Messiah. He is Lord Jesus Christ. Yahweh, Yesu. Christos, or Kurios. He is Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives the right, he gives the authority to become his children. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. That's why John goes on in his gospel to talk about what Jesus says, that you must do the religious leader who had all the info here but hadn't experienced the life here, says you must be born again. Nicodemus says, how can that be? How can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? No, you don't need your parents' DNA over again. You need God's DNA. You need God's eternal life. You need God's Holy Spirit living in you. That's how you become a Christian. A follower of Jesus is not someone who's trying to get to heaven by his efforts, and if he's good enough, he gets there. A follower of Jesus realizes he'll never be good enough. And he throws himself on the mercy of the one who died on the cross in his place. And he asks as a gift from God to be forgiven. And he opens his eye up to receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And so he is brought into the fellowship of the Trinity to experience the very life of God, eternal life. And that's why the Scripture says the Holy Spirit then is the guarantee the deposit God's put in you that one day you too will experience the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. That's why we live in hope. Because this body may disintegrate and die and be put in the ground. But one day when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are left will be transformed in a twinkling of an eye and will meet the Lord in the air. Because our faith is not based on some philosophy. Our base of faith is based on three historical events. The coming of God in Jesus at Bethlehem. 
the crucifixion of the God-man Jesus at Good Friday and the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday and the life, the resurrection of life of Jesus Christ himself, he offers to you if you will receive it. He invites you into fellowship, into relationship with him. But because he's created you in love, he will not force himself into your life. You have to open your life and trust him. Express faith. Invite him. Allow him to take up residence in your life by his spirit. And when his spirit comes into our life, we have peace with God. And the peace of God keeps our hearts and minds Together, even in the midst of grief and sadness and difficulties and pain and suffering and whatever else may come in this life. Because as Christians, we look forward to new heavens and new earth where there'll be no more sin and death and pain and suffering. And the guarantee to us is the presence of his Holy Spirit in us. That one day, just like Jesus was raised from the dead, we'll have a brand new body that will never die. And we'll be with Jesus forever and experiencing and enjoying. If you think this creation is beautiful, wait till he recreates it to reflect what it should have been unaffected by sin in its awesome beauty. And you think the one you've fallen in love with is beautiful, you wait till you see them in the eternal glory of a resurrection body. You ain't seen nothing yet. You think this is awesome. You ain't seen nothing yet. But that promise and that commitment by Father is only to those who put their trust and faith in Jesus. And so I ask, have you done that? Don't leave it another day. Have you said, Jesus, I believe your God come in the flesh. Jesus, I trust that you died on the cross in my place for my sin. Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. Please forgive me and give me the gift of eternal life, the gift of your Holy Spirit. And you can express that in a prayer, something like this. There's nothing magical about these words. God sees the heart, and if that's what you want, he will hear and answer your prayer, whatever the words may be. Dear God, I know I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live a new life with Jesus as my ruler. I invite you to read this out loud with me. And today... If you've never done this before, as you read it, will you believe it? Will you, in faith, say these words? This is for me. I want this for me as we read it together with you out loud. Let's read it. Dear God, I know I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live a new life with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. If you prayed that prayer in faith saying, that's what I want. I want to begin. I want to be part of 
God's Forever Family. Would you just let me know afterwards? I'd love to give you this little book and uh, maybe get you some details so that we can help to encourage you in following Jesus into your future. We're going to celebrate together and affirm what we've just heard by eating some bread and drinking some grape juice. We call it communion. It reminds us of what Jesus has done for us and as the at the beginning of a new year, as Outlook Christian Church, let's do it as a recommitment to follow Jesus into this new year and be his ambassadors in this city for him, to spread the good news about the one who is, who was, and who is to come, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We invite anybody who's here, you're welcome to join in with us. And if you've never asked the Lord Jesus into your life as you're eating this bread and drinking this cup, as you take the physical elements into your body, why don't you pray and say, Lord Jesus, will you come into my life and take control of my life? I'm going to ask those who are waiting on us to come as we take it, give out the elements. Please take the bread and the cup and just hold on to it and we'll eat and drink together. And at Outlook, we're happy. If you'd like your children to join in with you, feel free for them to, uh, if they're sitting with you, to take a piece of bread and uh, to take the cup and keep it with you as you explain to them why we're doing it. For we remember that Christ has died. We're remembering that Christ has risen. And we're remembering that Christ will come again. As we're passing out the bread and the wine, let's read this. It's called the Apostles' Creed. In the early days of the church, before there were printing presses and uh, before you could have your own copy on your iPhone or your iPad or in a hard copy, uh, people would learn off, heart, off by heart, sort of the summarized version of what we believe, and it came to be known as the Apostles' Creed. Let's read it together as the plates are being passed out. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Will you take the bread and will you eat it? And as you do, will you say thank you to Jesus for dying in your place for your sin. Take a moment to say thank you and recommit your life to him as you eat the bread.
you've never committed your life to him before, will you do so now as you're eating the bread? Will you say, Lord Jesus, forgive my sin? And please come into my life by the gift of your Holy Spirit. You already know him. Will you say, Lord Jesus, I recommit myself in this new year to live under your authority and to please, love, and serve you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand? In our Western culture, often we raise glasses in honor of somebody. And at weddings, very often we connect glasses and click glasses in honor of the bride and groom. Well, today we stand in honor of the one who died and rose again from the dead, and we look forward to his coming again. We're going to raise our glasses together in just a moment. We're going to say, till Jesus comes. And I invite you to join me in that, and then we'll drink together. Till Jesus comes. Till Jesus comes. Let's drink. Lord Jesus Christ, we are here today because you have come in human flesh, because you have died on the cross in our place for our sin, because you rose again from the dead and offer us the gift of eternal life. And so, Lord Jesus, at the beginning of this year, we recommit ourselves to you as your followers, your disciples, your servants, your people. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to love you and serve you with our whole heart until that great day when we hear the trumpet sound. And those who have gone before will be raised from the dead in new bodies and we will be transformed in the moment to meet you in the air, to be with you forever. And so till Jesus comes, Keep us faithful, we pray. Because Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. In his name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Some little plastic uh, containers will come around uh, for the glasses, uh, and then.